Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Today's lecture event is part of the 13th Annual Kosciuszko Chair Conference. This conference is sponsored by the Kosciuszko Chair of Polish Studies and the Center for Intramarium Studies. This evening, we'll be hearing from Dr. Paul Kengor. Dr. Kengor is a professor of political science at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania, and a New York Times bestselling author of over a dozen books. He is a senior director and chief academic fellow at the Institute for Faith and Freedom and former visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. His articles have appeared in publications from the Washington Post and USA Today to the Wall Street Journal and New York Times. He is a longtime columnist and senior editor for the American Spectator. Dr. Ken Gore is an internationally recognized authority on, among other topics, Ronald Reagan, the Cold War, communism, socialism, and conservatism. Dr. Ken Gore, welcome and thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, thank you very much, Hannah. Good to be with you. And it's an honor to be part of this conference. I'd like to thank my friend Marek and, and also John Lenchowski. So it's good to be with you all. And IWP is one of my favorite places. I, I recommend it to my Grove City College students all the time. So not just saying that to be nice, that's, that's, that's completely sincere. So thank you for the chance to record this, pre-record this. So um, you and Katie offered me several different dates that I could do pre-record. And to confess here, uh, as a good Catholic boy, I picked October 22nd because it is the feast day of, of St. John Paul II. And that's when we are pre-recording. We are pre-recording on October 22nd, 2020. So I have, I, I'm allowed to speak here for about 30 to 40 minutes. I have, I have some talking points. I could, I could go off the top of my head, but I think it's better if I script myself a little bit. I have a little bit of a presentation to follow here. And in doing this, I probably, means I got to put on my glasses, which will cause a glare on the screen. But once you turn 50, this is what happens, you wear glasses. And so that'll probably, probably won't look all that great visually, but nonetheless, that's where we go, what we're going to do. So I'll try to keep them off if I, if I can, but I'll often have to put them on. So talking here about Ronald Reagan, Pope John Paul II, and this extraordinary partnership that helped change the world, that, that won the Cold War, that, that changed history. And I've studied this quite a bit. I've written on this quite a bit. In fact, it was, um, I think so, right? It was, I spoke at IWP in 2017 on my book, A Pope and a President, on uh, John Paul II and Ronald Reagan. And that was, yeah, that, that would have been, that was when my book came out at that point. My book came out in May 2017. So I think I spoke around that, around that summer. So this is a topic I've studied, studied quite a bit. And I should add here too that that was followed up by Robert Orlando, the filmmaker, and I did a book together called The Divine Plan, which was based on a film by the same name. And among the 14 people that Rob Orlando interviewed for that were, were Marek, um, his wife, Monica, and uh, two excellent um, scholars in their own right. Um, Monica's writing wonderful doing wonderful work on John Paul II, his literary, the literary aspect, the poetry aspect, 
his his acting, his his theatrical works. And also included in that was um, Richard V. Allen, we interviewed, H.W. Brands, Doug Brinkley, Bishop Robert Barron, Cardinal Dolan, Craig Shirley, just, just a really impressive, George Weigel, an impressive group. So enough of that. All right. So I'll start my presentation here. October 16th, 1978. On that date, the conclave met the College of Cardinals and got together and they had to pick a new pope. So it was the, the previous pope who went by John Paul, turns out he would be John Paul I, although of course they didn't call him John Paul I yet. He had been in the papacy for only 33 days of all things, very unexpected death. They met and they chose the 264th heir to the chair of St. Peter. And they chose the first non-Italian Pope in 455 years. You can imagine that. That's like twice the life of the United States, right? That, that's how long there had been Italian Pope, 455 years. So of all things, they picked the first Slavic Pope ever and the, full, the first Polish Pope ever. They, they plucked him out of the middle of the heart of the Soviet communist bloc, the one country in the entire Soviet empire, where the war on religion, as Mikhail Gorbachev would later rightly describe it, had completely failed. So of all places, the College of Cardinals goes there to pick the next pope. Carol Wojtyla, Archbishop of Krakow, Cardinal, Cardinal from Krakow. The reaction to this, people were stunned everywhere. People were stunned. Christoph Meisner, who talked about, said that, uh, talked about watching this on Polish television. And he said, we awaited confirmation by evening news. At last, an announcer came on with a very sad face, announced that a new Pope had been elected and it was Carol Wojtyla, right? Kind of you know, uh, ho-hum, no big deal. You know, then on to the potato crop, the harvest, whatever else, right? No, no big deal. But of course, this, this was a big deal. And among the people who were shocked by this, stunned by this, probably the three most remarkable reactions would have been Ronald Reagan, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and Yuri Andropov. Yuri Andropov, the head of the KGB, he had, he had um, spearheaded the anti-religion department directorate of the KGB for years, and he was absolutely floored by this. In fact, he telephoned the KGB chief in Warsaw, and he asked him, how could you possibly allow the election of a citizen of a socialist country as Pope? And <laughs> to which, to which the, the guy on the other end was like, well, I, I think you should direct your questions here to Rome, sir. I, I, I can't explain that, right? You should maybe be asking them. The John Paul II, as he would become, as he would become known, that's the name that he picked to honor his predecessor, John Paul, um, John Paul I, who had picked that name from the two previous popes, St. John XXIII wasn't a saint yet, and uh, also saint wasn't a saint yet, Paul VI. So um, we have been John XXIII, and then Paul VI, and then John Paul, John Paul I. And then following that, John Paul II, who would, um, wouldn't be there a mere 33 days. It'd be there 27 years altogether. All on he gave his first homily on October 22nd, 1978. So 42 days, 42 years from from the, the time that I'm recording this right now, 
and again what would become the feast day of St. John Paul II once he was canonized. And he said there in those famous lines from scripture, those famous three words from the New Testament, you know, said by Jesus many times, said by the angel Gabriel to Mary in the Annunciation, be not afraid, be not afraid. Open the doors to Christ, open them wide, open the borders of states, economic and political systems, the vast domains of culture. Now that said, Moscow was very afraid. They were very worried about this. And they were especially worried when Carol Wojtyla, John Paul II, chose when they said, hey, where would you like to go first? Your first foreign trip, if you had a choice, where would you like to go first? And he said, Poland, of course, <laughs> Poland, my Polish homeland. And they, his handlers said, well, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, are you sure, be a little provocative here. Sure, the Polish communist government doesn't want this. I'm sure Moscow definitely doesn't want this. And Brezhnev intervened too and called uh, Garrick and, and said, you need to veto this. You need to tell him no. And he said, how can I do that? My, my, my country is Poland. My people are Polish. It's Catholic. The Pope is Polish. It's from Poland. How can I say no to him? And Brezhnev told him, said, you better not regret it. Slam down the phone. Well, he would regret it. Because John Paul II went there June 2nd through 11th, 1979, attracted massive crowds of people, thousands upon thousands, in some cases, you know, millions, I mean, millions from, from all around Poland. Mark could talk about this, Monica could talk about this, showed up to see the man. Probably, probably a majority of Poles actually saw him during those nine days, June 2nd through 11th, 1979. And I love this about John Paul II, as I do about, about Ronald Reagan, his courage, his boldness, his appreciation. You know, he and Reagan both had been actors. They understood the power of the spoken word. They knew how important communications was. They knew how important the stage was. And so for his stage in Poland, he picks Warsaw's Victory Square. Victory Square. Imagine, imagine the symbolism of that. And he, for his first homily, his first homily there, he said exactly what the communists did not want him to say. Christ cannot be kept out of the history of man in any part of the globe. The exclusion of Christ from the history of man is an act against man. Without Christ, it is impossible to understand the history of Poland. And then this, there can be no just Europe without the independence of Poland marked on its map. There can be no just Europe without the independence of Poland marked on its map. And uh, that was heard in Moscow. The New York Times reacted to this with a New York Times editorial, typical snooty uh, Times editorial, June 5th, 1979. As much as the visit of John Paul II to Poland might reinvigorate and re-inspire the Roman Catholic Church in Poland. It does not threaten the political order of the nation or of Eastern Europe. Yeah, right, right. Tell, yeah, tell that, tell that to the Soviets. Tell that to the Soviets. In fact, tell that to Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan was. I've talked to Dick Allen, Richard D. Allen. Dick is still around. And he was Reagan's first national security advisor all of 1981. 
prior to um, Bill Clark coming in in 1982, John Lanchowski worked for that National Security Council. And it was, Dick Allen was Ronald Reagan's foreign policy advisor la, uh, late 1970s, from about 1977 on through 78, 79, 80, so be, before he was president. They were sitting together in California, Reagan's office in California, talking about foreign policy. They decided to take a break, turn on the evening news, June 1979, and they turned on the evening news and they saw footage of John Paul II's return to his Polish homeland. And Alan, who talked about this in, in our um, Divine Plan film, said, I looked over at Reagan and there was a tear in his eye. He was, he was clearly moved. And he looked at this outpouring of emotion for, for, for the Polish Pope. And he said, Dick, that's it, that's it, that's it. The Pope is the key, the Pope is the key, the Pope is the key. We've got to find a way to get elected. <laughs> Not easy to do. We've got to reach out to this new Polish Pope in the Vatican and make them an ally. Make them an ally. That was, that was Reagan's goal. So Reagan said, well, I got to get elected. This for Reagan is a game changer. Reagan, would, Reagan had stood in front of the Berlin Wall in November 1978. Now, here was a moment that no one saw other than Dick Allen, Peter Hannaford, and their wives. And Nancy Reagan was there as well. So Nancy, Ronald Reagan, the Allens, the Hannafords, six of them. And Reagan stood there in front of the Berlin Wall in November 1978. Allen has talked about this. Hannaford has talked about this. And Reagan looked at the wall and said, we've got to find a way to knock this down. We've got to find a way to knock this down. And by the way, this was the complete opposite of what Jimmy Carter had been thinking, or Gerald Ford, or, or Richard Nixon. Complete opposite. They weren't thinking about knocking down the Berlin Wall. They, and besides that, they didn't think it was possible. Reagan believed it was possible, it was feasible. And all of a sudden, with a Polish Pope, this was, he believed, a vehicle to help make it happen. This was a game changer in the Cold War. That June 1979 trip was also a game changer for the Soviets. They met the Soviet, they meaning the Soviet Central Committee, November 13th, 1979. Nine comrades from the Central Committee, by the way, one of which, in addition to people like Suslav, Karolenko, Chernenko, uh, uh, Podomarev, uh, was Mikhail Gorbachev. He was there as well. And they tried to decide what to do about this menace in the Vatican this Polish Pope, November 13th, 1979. What are we going to do about this? Well, they issued this chilling edict, quote, use all possibilities available to the Soviet Union to prevent the new course of policies initiated by the Polish Pope. Let me repeat that. Use all possibilities available to the Soviet Union. That's a scary thought for a nation that was responsible for the deaths of tens of millions of people if necessary, with additional measures beyond disinformation, that's you know, desinformatia and discreditation. John Kohler, who was an, an AP reporter and a good Cold War historian as well, he, he was the first to procure this document, which he got from the Italian Secret Service Agency, SISDE, S-I-S-D-E. And Kohler said that in layman's terms, this was an order for assassination, foreshadowed by the need to, quote, get physically close, unquote, with the Pope. And, you know, that was not to kiss his ring. 
And it says, Kohler noted that at the bottom of the document, at the end of the text was a note from, the, from Italy's security service. And Kohler said, SISDA says document found in Moscow points to plans for the physical elimination of JP2. Physical elimination of JP2. I mean, they wouldn't do that, would they? They wouldn't do that. Next, November 4th, 1980, one year later, it gets even worse for Moscow. Ronald Reagan defeated Jimmy Carter, the cowboy, the crusader, as the Soviets were calling him. Beat Carter by 10 points, 51 to 41%. This is an incumbent. Reagan won 44 out of 50 states, won the Electoral College 489 to 49. Reagan was inaugurated on January 20th, 1981. Immediately, the Soviet spirit of Reagan JP2 alliance. And I'm always amazed by this. Well, no, I'm not amazed. I should never be amazed by anything that the Soviets or the communists do. But in the Soviet press, I found this in going back through Soviet archives and writing a Pope and a President. They referred to John Paul II as a malicious, lowly, perfidious, and backward toady of American militarists seeking to undermine communism with his, with his overseas accomplices and his new boss in the White House. His new boss in the White House, Reagan. Reagan, John Paul II's new boss, Reagan. That's how these guys thought. As uh, Joe Stalin said, if um, you know, death solves all problems, right? No man, no problem. If maybe this man could just be dead. Well, they got close to having their wish with both men. March 30th, 1981, Ronald Reagan walking outside the Washington Hilton after speaking to the AFL-CIO. Reagan goes outside and waiting outside for him is what Reagan charitably called a confused young man by the name of John Hinckley, who was trying to get the attention of actress Jodie Foster. And he did. He certainly got her attention, put a bullet in the president, as well as um, several others around him, press secretary Jim Brady, a couple of secret service people, park, uh, park police, some Washington DC police officer. Reagan was immediately rushed to George Washington University Hospital, where he very nearly bled to death, <clears throat> required massive, blood transfusions, and, uh, but he made it, he made it. You move that bullet a few centimeters over, a little closer to the heart, the main aortal valve, and Ronald Reagan would not have made it to George Washington University Hospital, at least not, not alive. He got out of the car, walked out, boom, fell right down, fell right down, took him straight to the emergency room. Fast forward only six weeks, so from May 30th, 1981 to May 13th, 1981, from Washington, D.C., outside the Washington Hilton, to Rome, St. Peter's Square. And there, it was another um, confused young man, although I don't know how confused he was. He knew exactly what he was hired to do, named Mahmoud Ali Asha, Asha, A-G-C-A, -A, like Akha, or Asha. And he was, he was a Muslim Turk, carrying a nine millimeter semi-automatic Browning concealed inside his jacket. He had been dropped off there early in the morning. 
had mulled around all day long waiting for John Paul II to appear as planned for his audience in St. Peter's Square. John Paul II, white fiat, Pope Mobile, eventually gets up closer to Asha. Asha lifts his gun in the air about quarter after five. Actually, George Weigel in Witness to Hope, Weigel, you know, that being the definitive biography of John Paul II, says the time on the clock was 5.13 p.m., which would have matched the time on the calendar, the date on the calendar, 5.13, May 13th, 1981. Feast day of Our Lady of Fatima, which is remarkable because John Paul II was the totus tuus priest or totus tuus um, Pope, totally yours to Mary, had consecrated his papacy to Mary. When, his, when he lost his mother as a young man, his father took him to Chestakova to the Black Madonna and said, here now is your mother. Mary is, is, is your mother. And that was the first, May 13, 1980, uh, May 13, 1917, was the first of the several Marian apparitions in Fatima where among other things, you know, she, disclosed, she disclosed three different secrets. All of this ended in the miracle of the sun, October 13th, 1981. And a third of these secrets, which John Paul II did not read until two months after this event, in July, July 18th, 1981, when recovering in Gemelli Clinic, would call for the apparent attempted assassination of the bishop in white. And the only bishop that wears white in the Catholic Church is the Bishop of Rome. So 5.13 p.m., 5.13 on the calendar, and John Paul II comes around. Mahmoud Ali Asha lifts his pistol, squeezes a trigger. Four shots are fired, two of which hit the Pope, one in the left hand and another in the abdomen. And as John Paul II would put it, uh, one hand fired the bullet, another hand guided the bullet. So he believed that he was protected by a divine hand, a maternal hand, a divine hand of, of some sort. He's immediately rushed to the hospital, to Jamelli Clinic, or Jamelli Hospital, and he very nearly bled to death. He probably should have bled to death. Just like Ronald Reagan, if the bullet that struck him in the abdomen was over just a little bit more, closer to the main abdominal artery, he almost certainly would have bled to death required mass transfusions. His body rejected the first transfusion. Father Jivich, his close aide who was there on hand, gave him the anointing of the sick, gave him last rites. They um, rejected the first transfusion. People, people there, staff had to, had to donate blood to give him another transfusion. His blood pressure plummeted to 70, 70 over whatever, probably 70 over 40, 50. He underwent five and a half hours of emergency surgery. He required six pints of blood. Ronald Reagan needed eight pints of blood. They both could have easily bled to death. Asha tried to escape, but he was tackled by a nun named Sister Letizia from the, from the Bergamo region of, of Italy. And he's lucky that the nun tackled him and pinned him down with a couple of people there to help because his Soviet pals, his, um, his Bulgarian buddies, all working for the KGB, you know, they, they called, um, probably the, well, more on this in a minute, but they, 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 were try, they were supposed to escape him out of there, but the plan was that they were gonna put a bullet in Asha as well. 
I mean, they weren't gonna, did you think we were gonna let you live, comrade, hmm? No, that's not how the Soviets do things. A friend of mine said, just like the mafia. Now don't insult the mafia by comparing them to the communists. That's not fair to the mafia. So Ronald Reagan was at, uh, four days after this, Ronald Reagan <laughs> spoke publicly six weeks after surviving his own assassination attempt at Notre Dame, of all things. University of Notre Dame, Notre Dame University, um, uh, University of Our Lady. That's what Notre Dame means. Reagan spoke at commencement. That had been pre-decided uh, pre uh, in advance, maybe preordained, perhaps. And Ronald Reagan there warned in that talk, he said that he mentioned, he, he said his prayers were with John Paul II. And just as John Paul II in the previous years encyclical on mercy and justice had warned of, quote, certain economic theory that used the rhetoric of class struggle to justify injustice. The neighbor is sometimes destroyed, killed, killed. And to me, I think that might've been the first public indicator of what Ronald Reagan was thinking. It's also what Bill Casey at the CIA was, was thinking as well. And, um, and, and Owen, kudos to, to you. Um, I know that uh, Bill Casey's um, daughter and son-in-law are, are very close to, to IWP. And the you know, really, absolutely the two front men, and the, the two most important figures in connecting between Ronald Reagan and Rome, Ronald Reagan and John Paul II, would have been Bill Clark and Bill Casey, two Irish Catholics, and, and really above all, Bill Casey, more important than anybody else. Flew to Rome often in a windowless uh, C-141 black jet and met with the Pope, we don't know how many times. He kept this very, very close to the vest. But Casey too was wondering, what were the Soviets up to? Could the Soviets possibly had had, had a hand in this shooting of the Pope? Ronald Reagan and John Paul II got together at the Vatican in June 7th, 1982. They had wanted to get together since the, since the start of Reagan's presidency. Reagan wanted to get together with him since June, 1979, but again, had to get elected first. They met at the Vatican June 7, 1982, one-on-one -on -one in the library, and and for about for about for about 50 minutes, about an hour altogether. And they said to one another that they believed that God had spared their lives for a special purpose, which was to take down and defeat the Soviet Empire, atheistic Soviet communism. So imagine this non-Polish president, this non-Catholic president, saying to, saying to the Polish Pope, hope remains in Poland, in your country. We working together can keep it alive, which they would do through directives like NSDD 32, which, which John Lanczowski knows all about. That was one of about 100 NSDD's formal policy directives done under Bill Clark's tutelage in the NSC through 1982 and 1983, which called for bringing political pluralism of all things to Eastern Europe. So this would be, as Tom Reed and others pointed, this was uh, NSDD 32, NSDD 75 under Richard Pipes, NSDD 66, a number of others. These were all about rolling back Soviet communism. So not just containing the Soviet empire, but liberating the people of Eastern Europe. <clears throat> That's what Reagan wanted to do. 
That's what John Paul II wanted to do. They wanted to do it peacefully, and they do it did it through an extraordinary number of means. Um, my book, The Crusader, goes through a dozen or so, if not two dozen, different elements where they where they attempted to do this. And kudos here as well to um, to uh, Ken de Graffenried of IWP of of Roger Robinson who ran the economic warfare, uh, economic warfare portfolio for the Reagan administration on things like the pipeline, uh, energy reserves. The Reagan administration looked for a hundred different ways to try to undermine Soviet communism and did it. Reagan John Paul II would, uh, they saw Poland as the key. Poland was the key. Uh, Carl Bernstein in a piece for Time Magazine <clears throat> 10 years later, the cover, 19, uh, 1992, was called Holy Alliance, was actually the, the name of the cover of that, um, that issue of Time Magazine. He quoted a cardinal, probably Pio Laghi at that point, although it could have been Casseroli. And the cardinal said, nobody believed the collapse of communism would happen this fast or in this timetable. But in their first meeting together, so we've been at the Vatican, June 7, 1982, the Holy Father and the President committed themselves and the institutions of the church and America to such a goal. From that day, the focus was to bring it about. They initiated a, they consented to a clandestine campaign to quote, hasten the dissolution of the communist empire, free all of Eastern Europe. And they believed that Poland, a free Poland could be a dagger to the heart of the Soviet empire. So start with Poland, as the first domino to knock over, and the others would follow. Domino, dagger, wedge in the block, the communist block, BLOC, like a block of wood, BLOK, take the wedge, pound it in there, crack it from top to bottom. That's what Poland could do. Poland had that potential. Reagan John Paul II would meet five times in, uh, in Rome, June 1982, in Fairbanks, Alaska, May of 1984, they would meet at the Vatican again in June 1987. They would meet in Miami, September 1987. Um, people often say, uh, have asked me about, about the cover of my book. They're like, that's an amazing picture. Is that photo, is that photo op? And said, no, 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 that's, that's is that Photoshop? Um, no, it's, 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 from, it's from the two of them meeting together in Miami in September 1987. I love that picture. Reagan's, in fact, Nancy Reagan said it's her favorite picture of the two of them. She, uh, Nancy met with John Paul II seven times, more even than her husband did. She said, I loved him. He was my favorite leader. He was my, he was my favorite person that Ronnie met with. But they, uh, she said of that picture of Ronald Reagan and John Paul II in Miami, September 1987. She said, yeah, Ronnie is making, very deliberately making a point. You can see him talking with his hands and the Pope is, is just listening very pensively. I think it's a great picture that captures them together. They met at Castle Gandolfo as well in September 1990. The, I'll hit this one point and then I got to move on. I'm looking at the clock. I, I'm not supposed to go, I'm supposed to do 30 to 40 minutes. So I have maybe 10. The, what I focused on at length in, in the book, A Pope and a President, was the fact that Bill Casey's CIA looked into whether or not the Soviets were, were behind the hit on the Pope. 
and Casey had two, two women working for him, in particular two analysts, both fairly young, I think one in her 30s, other in her 40s, who um, I'll say it now because he's now passed, God rest his soul, Herb Meyer. Herb Meyer is the, um, the secret source in my book, Pope and a President. And he, you know, he could not go on the record, but Herb Meyer told me that Herb Meyer saw the report. He saw the report that it was done. And he said, that report concluded that the Russians did it. And I'm looking at a quote from Herb that I think I shared at IWP when I talked about this in 2017. And I didn't tell you who said it then, but I'll tell you now it was Herb. He said, quote, that was the single most secret document I've ever seen, about 30 pages, eyes only, really, really tight, only one or two copies, so classified that they practically took the eyeballs out of the corpses of the secretary who typed it, <laughs> and of those who read it. That's classic Herb, if you knew Herb. That document has never come out. That document has the answer. Herb said, Casey authorized two women, really bright, fabulous. They did great work. They ran circles around the CIA establishment. And he said it was, the, it was their conclusion and that report's conclusion that, um, that the Kremlin ordered the hits on John Paul II. And they did it not through the KGB. Herb said, Herb told me, again, Herb is anonymous in my book. Herb told me that was the issue. Everybody was pinging their KGB sources and they couldn't find out. He said the KGB didn't do it. Yes, Yuri Andropov was the head of the KGB and he knew about it. He gave the green light, he authorized it. But the GRU did it, the GRU, Soviet military intelligence ordered the head. That's why people were failing to find out through the KGB. KGB gave it the go ahead, but the GRU did it. That's what, that's what Herb said. Herb said that that document, and um, I know that Owen is, I think, still working on this, maybe, that um, that document has not been declassified. I, it has not been fully released through, through Langley. John Paul II was briefed on this by, you know, um, once again, by Bill Casey. And Casey, when Casey told him about what the United States had concluded, what a CIA had concluded about the Soviet role, he was not surprised. He knew, he knew. He knew, he knew because he had the third secret of Fatima. That told him that the communists were behind it. 1989 came the collapse of communism, which was the Berlin Wall, of course, fell in November 1989. But as this group will appreciate, and it's great to say this for this particular conference, um, the KC conference, which I'll, I'll abbreviate because my Polish is, is horrific, even though Ken Gore is partly Polish. I think it's a Polish name. Forgive me, Mark, for not knowing the, the, you know, the, the Ken Gore can't family can't figure it out. My mom's side is 100% Italian. They, they can trace all that stuff back to Calabria, but my dad's side, it's just it's not real clear. But much more important than, than the, the Berlin Wall in November 1989, or what, what led to the, the breach in the Berlin Wall in November 1989, were the June 4th, 1989 elections that were held in Poland, where the communists lost every single contested seat that was held, for, <laughs> held in the legislature, which is why, ladies and gentlemen, communists don't hold elections, because when they do, communists lose. That's, that's the way it is. That's why Castro's Cuba 
despite what American leftists say about the wonderful healthcare and free education down there. I'll tell you, it's amazing, all right? If it was so amazing, they'd hold elections and they let the people vote in the Castros or vote in the communists. They don't. Castro promised free and fair elections in 1959, and it's been over 60 years. We're still waiting. So with that, uh, Berlin Wall fell November 9th, 1989, and the Soviet Union would disintegrate. It would no longer be called the Soviet Union by the end of 1991. So the Vatican, Ronald Reagan and John Paul II met together what would turn out to be one last time. They met at Castel Gandolfo in September, 1990. It was during Reagan's tour of Eastern Europe where Reagan went to the Berlin Wall with a little hammer, hit, hit the wall, took off a chunk to bring home. That meeting between Reagan and John Paul II, by the way, imagine if this was, you know, I'm sorry about the partisan comment. If this was some, liberal Democrat president who had won the Cold War and was meeting with the Pope. I mean, yeah, there'd, there'd be a ticker tape parade. All of the media would be there celebrating this great moment. The only English speaking newspaper, or the only one I could find in the United States that even covered it was USA Today with a three sentence blurb. The blurb said, former President Ronald Reagan and his wife, Nancy, finished up their European tour by visiting John Paul II at the Papal Summer Palace outside Rome, the Pope ended the 30-minute meeting with the words, God bless America. The Vatican said no other details were released. That was I asked Nancy Reagan about it a number of times. In fact, when I went back and putting the book together and going through my notes, I must have asked her five or six times by email, by, by email, um, through Joanne Drake, her wonderful aide. And um, she would always answer, she would always say, I know I wish I could give you more about this. Did we talk about the end of the Cold War and the fall of Berlin Wall? Yeah, yes, we did, we did. But other than that, I can't remember any specifics other than to say that it was such a warm and wonderful meeting. So we just loved the Pope, we loved him, we, we just loved him. And if, if only the two of them knew that it, that it was the last time that they would, that they would spend together if they would see one another. Ronald Reagan died June 5th, 2004 at the age of 93. So at that point, the, the longest living former president and John Paul II died a year later on April 2nd, 2005. And um, at uh, 2137 on the clock, 937 PM Rome time. Um, all that adds up to 13, the number 13 in the life of John Paul II in Fatima. 2137 on the clock and 4-2-2005 on the, on the date. So he, um, he, he passed, he passed. Later on, I'll conclude with these final points. June 27, 2011 at St. Mary's Basilica in Krakow, a special Thanksgiving mass for what, who was then blessed John Paul II, he was not canonized yet. And for the life of President Ronald Reagan, officiating was Cardinal Zivich, who had been the priest who was there that caught in his arms, a, a sagging shot, uh, John Paul II, Pope on May 13th, 1981. He officiated and he said there, this world is a battlefield of good and evil, truth and falsehood. Each of us faces a choice. 
Today, we recall two great men who stood before this very choice and their decision influenced the course of history and shaped the world in which we live, shaped the world in which we live. They did, they, they answered that call, they chose the side of good, they came together in that battlefield. Um, to quote John Paul II, they were unafraid, they, they spoke truth, they courageously spoke to what both considered evil, evil empire and an, and an evil ideology. They stood up to it powerfully, poignantly. Both men even took bullets. They even took bullets of all things. They nearly died for their missions and what they believed. And then they came together and they worked together at partners to truly change the world. And they rewrote with a very happy ending the end of the 20th century. So that's it for me. Thank you all very much. John, Marek, and Hannah, thank you for hosting me. And thanks for this chance to talk to your group. God bless. Take care.